Uh, Prayer is, as we all know, such an important part of what happens in the church. God has just designed it that way. It acknowledges everything we've been singing about this morning, that He is exalted above all. And that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, King James Version, or shadow of turning. It's one of the curse of those who were born more than 35 years ago. You remember everything in King James. Not a curse. I mean, King James is a great translation of Scripture. But it's not the one that you're most in contact with these days. So, uh, but... But it's, it's so true that everything that we have comes from the Lord. And I'm not sure if I, I just went so embarrassed. I rarely get embarrassed on Sunday mornings. You know, I make a lot of mistakes, but I don't get embarrassed about them. But boy, that was bad a while ago. So I don't even know if Aubrey said we have sign-up sheets outside on the, on the island. Did he say that? Oh, boy. It's closing prayer. We're going to go home. <laughs> What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Genesis? Well, after creation. I know creation is going to be the first thing that comes. But what's the first thing that comes to your mind? More than likely, you think about stories. There are a lot of stories in Genesis. And probably before we started going through this series on Genesis, you thought that most of the stories were uplifting, good moral examples being set for us to follow. But now you realize how terrible some of the situations were that people got themselves into. In fact, the story that we read last week, my goodness, one of the most important families in history just made a mess of things. But all of these stories in Genesis, just like any story in Scripture, is telling us about God. There are lots of different genres in Scripture, but when, whenever you come to a story, it's, it's given us the history of God's redemptive work, the history of redemption. And it's pointing to Jesus. Um, last week, when we met Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, every single character did very badly. And in fact, there was almost no redeeming quality in that story at all except to remind us that apart from the Lord's intervention in our lives, we're hopeless. But that's a beautiful setup for today's message because we find all kinds of redemption in the encounter that God initiates with Jacob in the story this morning. Um, There's no indication, when Jacob runs away from Beersheba, there's no indication that anybody is with him. Now, it could have been somebody with him because Rebecca likely said, look, send some people with the boy. Send a few of your men with the boy. Isaac was rich. They had servants everywhere. And so there may have been some people with Jacob, but possibly he was alone. I can tell you this, regardless of how many were with him, Jacob felt absolutely alone, keenly aware that he was suffering the consequences of his actions, the actions of participating with his mother to deceive his blind and dying father in order to obtain all of the riches of Isaac or most of the riches of Isaac anyway over Esau, his older brother. But now he was 
out there with nothing. And God came to him in a dream. To lower the boom. God's going to set him straight. Is that what happened? Let's read. Our text is Genesis 28. Verses 10 to 22. If you would please stand. And let's read this text. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. If I go off into the King James you'll understand. And Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you, give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you whenever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar. And poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying. If God will be with me. And will keep me in this way that I go. And will give me bread to eat. And clothing to wear. So that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar. Shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. Lord, this uh, is totally unexpected. When we consider how Jacob mistreated his father, who was given the promise of Abraham, we expect your judgment and punishment on him. Jacob didn't understand it then, but we understand now that the judgment and punishment went to Jesus. And you call Jacob to be your child and to be a blessing to the world. So Lord, may our hearts soar with gratitude and understanding first and gratitude for who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not much of a rebuke, was it? I mean, you just think about everything that Jacob had done. His his ridiculous treatment of his father. And yet God blesses him 
without condition. Now, this makes no sense at all on a human level. It it makes no sense, especially if you think that the way we achieve God's favor is to do good works. And if you think that all self-serving, sinful actions put us in hot water with God. Well, now that is true. Our sin, before we ever commit one sinful act, our sin that we inherited from Adam and Eve, our sin puts us in hot water with God. And all of the stories in Genesis, just like the rest of the stories in Scripture, are pointing to the fact That unless God intervenes, we cannot be made right with him. This story points directly to Jesus. How do we know? Well, because in Genesis, or excuse me, John chapter 1, there's an exchange between Jesus and Nathanael. And and, and look at what he says. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. See, Nathaniel, you remember, had made some snide remark about Jesus being from Galilee, from Nazareth. And he says, really, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on. You're telling me that our prophet's coming from Nazareth? So Jesus says, behold, an Israelite with, with whom, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, how, how do you know me? And he said, before you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, here's what's significant about that. Young men who were serious about following the Lord and about learning scriptures would sit under a fig tree and pray for the Messiah to come. There was prayer going on here. And so Jesus said, before you were under the fig tree, and Nathaniel knew what Jesus was implying, that is, you were praying for the Messiah. And before you saw him, (coughs) (coughs) before... You even had any idea that I knew I watched you there. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. That impresses you. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Does that sound familiar? You know what Jesus was saying? That ladder that Jacob saw? That was me. It, literally, it was a type of me. I mean, we could, you know, say it's a metaphorical crystal. Well, no, let's don't go there. Um, just before we examine this section a little more thoroughly, let, let's go back to that faithful night with Jacob and follow God's intervention in his life. Think about this. God's intervention. There's no indication that to this point in his life, Jacob had enjoyed any interaction at all with the Lord. I mean, we can certainly speculate that Isaac had spoken to him about the God of his father, uh, Abraham, and who is now his God. But there was no interaction with Jacob and there's no indication that Jacob cared anything about God. He just was looking out for himself, trying to get as many advantages in life as he possibly could. Um, Isaac, on the other hand, who had told Jacob, I'm sure, about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, 
failed to tell him that, and you are the one who has been chosen. In fact, Isaac planned for Esau to be the one through whom the blessing would flow. It was natural. Esau was the oldest. And Jacob, in response, along with Rebekah, sought to do God's work with him and steal the blessing. So Isaac's working this way. Rebekah and Jacob are working another way. And God is just out of the picture in their hearts and minds altogether. Here's the problem with Isaac's plan. You cannot determine whom God will bless and not bless. As much as you want to, you cannot determine who God is going to bless and who he won't bless. Here's the problem with Rebekah's plan that Jacob so willingly executed. You cannot steal God's blessing, nor can you do his work for him. Do we do the work of the Lord? The work of the Lord, Jesus said, is to believe that he is the Son of God. And yes, we work, we serve, but it's all in the power of the Lord or it's worthless. Here's the, you know, it's ironic. And for so many years, I just denied the fact that man really has no choice in his relationship with God, that God chooses us. Scripture says we have a choice and I have to believe that that's true. And how it works, I don't know. It says very clearly that God chooses and we have nothing to do with it. I can't make that work. But here's the thing. When we want to deny the fact that God chooses and we can't do anything about who he chooses and who he not doesn't choose, <clears throat> what we're probably thinking is, you know, if you say that God chooses, then my loved one may not be chosen. But if, if we get to choose, surely I can convince him or her. That Jesus is the way. Surely I'll be able to help. No, Rebecca. No, Jacob. You can't do God's work for him. God is the one who determines who receives the blessing and who does not. And if you can find any way to be arrogant about that, belonging to Jesus, I don't know how. Now, Jacob is on the run when God catches up with him. But, but really, it's not so much God catching up with him. God's waiting on him, isn't he? He's already there. Jacob is stunned at the sight that enters his dreams. He saw a ladder that extended to heaven. Now, this is most likely a ziggurat of the day. It was a pyramid-type structure that's connected with a rectangular or square kind of a building. And it's got all of these steps going up, just like you see steps at the pyramids as well. Um, and, and at the top uh, of these stairs, there's a, a flat place where sacrifices uh, were made. And, and these were thought to be the dwelling place of God. So all of that is in Jacob's mind when he sees this vision of these stairs. It's probably not a wooden ladder, certainly not an aluminum ladder like we would see today. You know, you, th- you think about that. Um, and even though I know it's not trying to communicate, what, what a ridiculous little song. And you probably loved it. It's your favorite song. So I'm sorry to do this to you, but we are climbing Jacob's ladder. Now, look, that sort of gives you the idea that I'm, trying, I'm getting to heaven. No. You got these stairs, and, 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 and Jacob has never, not only, he, he knew about these kind of 
cigarettes, but it sounds like cigarette, doesn't it? But, but he, he had never seen, this was beyond anything in his wildest imagination. And these angels are, are up and down, probably crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. My goodness. What can you, can you imagine? Now, this is not the kind of dream that you had last night. Even if you were on some medication, you know, or you had pizza last night. This is not the kind of dream you had. Jacob, after all of this other, all of a sudden he realized the Lord was there. He saw the Lord. Now, Now, what was this? Was this a theophany, an appearance of God to man? It was in his dreams, but it was clearly God who was talking to Jacob. Was it a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ? Or really is there much difference between the two? We don't know. We do know this. Jacob saw the Lord. And once again, while we would expect him to give Jacob the scolding of his life, he just said, I'm Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Isaac, and implied was, and now I am going to be your God as well. And he said it directly. We know this from what followed. I'm going to give you the land. Just stand up, look every direction. Not only am I going to give you all of this land, your children, your grandchildren, are they're going to populate every inch of this. If you can count the sand of the oceans, you can count the number of children that you're going to have. I... You've been running away, but wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. I will protect you, and I'm going to bring you back to this place. And not only that, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your family. Just makes no sense. Try try to make sense of that. No rebuke, only blessing, and the promise of protection. Very likely, that's one of the reasons that God revealed these angels to to Jacob's understanding and his sight. He could see the angels, and they were going to be going with him. Man, if we could just see the angels that are around us, don't you think that would make a difference in how we feel about God's protection for us? God's promise didn't change the fact that Jacob was on the, on the run, suffering those consequences. But there's no doubt that God's favor had been extended to Jacob in, in, in a totally unpredictable and undeserved way. Just grace when there ought to have been cursing. Jacob did not go to God. God came to Jacob. When he woke up the next morning, he was both terrified and and thrilled. Now think about this. This is going to sound strange, but if you think about it, I think it'll make sense. You can't really be properly terrified of God. You can't have the fear of God until he has first extended his grace to you. Once God extends his grace to you. You see him in all of his holiness and righteousness and glory. In this life anyway. Now when this life is done. Those who don't know the Lord are going to see him. And it will be terrifying beyond imagination. But for us. 
you just think you were afraid of God before Christ. It's, it's only true that we understand who God is and, and have a fear of God after He has changed our lives. And that kind of fear, though, changes our lives in a very satisfying way. It's a respect, yes, it's more than respect. It should be a fear of God that we have in our lives. But it is one that draws us toward Him. You may have grown up in a religious home, but do you remember the first time that you ever really, truly saw the Lord? I do. I I remember (laughs) what it was like. Now, if you came to to the Lord very early in life, and, and in fact, if you can't even remember that time, don't let, this is not, I'm not saying this to let these doubts creep into your mind or flood into your mind as the case may be. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, one of the lessons that we take from this is that everyone's experience of, of salvation is, is different. It all revolves around Jesus. Uh, apart from Jesus, it doesn't happen, but it's different for all of us. And if you came to Christ very early and you can't even remember a time when you didn't put your trust in the fact that he died for you, that's wonderful. Just make sure that right now your only hope is in Jesus, not in anything else for your standing before God. And you're in the place that you will see God because he has made himself known to you. Jacob said, this is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. You remember the ancient city of of Babylon? See, they had one of these ziggurats that, that, that they wanted to reach into the sky. They wanted these stairs to just go right up into the heavens. And I think it was something like Babylia, they called themselves, and it meant the gateway to heaven. Um... You know how cities may advertise themselves a certain way? Um, it, I don't know why you, you would want to advertise yourself as the Windy City, but I guess, you know, if you live in Chicago, well, that says something about you anyway. Uh, it's a great town. I like it. Uh, a lot of people are dying in Chicago these days. But Aubrey, did you, are you sure you got that right? I'm, I'm, I'm really off base here. Blue, uh, Bluefield, West Virginia. Anybody know that what they call themselves? The air-conditioned city. It's beautiful in the summer up there. It is just beautiful. A lot of days, though, it gets pretty hot. It gets up to around 75, 76 every day in the summer. Lots of days in the summer. Well, um, Babylon had a far more ambitious name than the gateway to the West, like St. Louis, or the gateway to Asia. It was the gateway to heaven. And they sort of implied that you get to heaven by climbing these steps. You know, we're just going to build this. But really, it wasn't building any kind of name for any God. It was building a name for themselves. And God came and, and, and confused their language. But there's quite some significance when Jacob sees this ziggurat and he says it is a I have seen this is the house of God and it's the gate of heaven and when he awoke he saw the rock that he had slept on the night before must have been a motel six or something like it you've had pillows like that 
And he encountered, he knew that he had encountered the God of the universe and he worshipped the best that he knew how. The language that Jacob used is probably not the language that he would have used 20 years later when he's coming back to Canaan and he has matured a great deal. Had, had, his spiritual maturity has taken place in his life. And he expresses his faith in a different way, just like you do. Remember some of the things that you said early on as a Christian that you look back on and you say, oh my God. You know, how can I say that? Well, Jacob's kind of, he's making this promise to the Lord. Really, he's, he's sort of <clears throat> repeating back the promises that God made to him. It may sound like a vow, you know, and, and that he's putting conditions on the Lord. And, and he could have been, but, but maybe not. Uh, there's no doubt that Jacob was a changed man. How do we know? In addition to that language. It was his commitment to give 10% of all that he received back to the Lord. Now think about Jacob. Does this strike you as the kind of vow that he would make? Typically? He's grabbing everything he can. He's stealing everything he can. Now all of a sudden he recognizes that anything good, he's out there with nothing. And he recognizes anything good that comes to me is going to come from God's hand. And when he gives it to me, I'm giving him a full tenth back. That may sound like a setup for a joke, but it's, it's quite serious. Or some kind of comment about giving, which it, there will be several comments about giving, but it's serious. Jacob knew that God had spoken directly to him, so much so that he named the place Bethel or house of God. There was no ziggurat in front of him, but you know what? When he woke up, he didn't need physical evidence. A lot of people talk about, I need evidence that God exists before I can believe. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French philosopher slash theologian slash mathematician slash everything else, just brilliant man said, the heart has its reasons for which there is no reason. He wasn't saying that a belief in God and and belief that Jesus died for our sins is beyond reason. He was just saying that that reason can't account, account for all that is true and all that is right. But when God deals with us, there will be evidence in our lives. Jacob's commitment to tithe was evidence that he had experienced this profound encounter with God. The one who would gamble for material gain and had lost everything. Now said, I'll give you back a tenth of what you give to me, God. Just like Abraham, his grandfather, Jacob, now was beginning to see. It all comes from the hand of the Lord. It's nothing that I do. Now, I don't believe that it's making too much of this text to say this. That if we don't give at least, at least a tenth of what God gives to us, then we don't have a very good understanding of the grace of God. If we understand God's grace in our lives, then our hearts are going to be absolutely committed to giving to His work. Now, please understand this. If you give 90% of your income so that God will be proud of you and accept you, 
it's not happening. We don't come to the Lord by, by our good works. But when we do come to God because he has brought us to himself, when he has encountered us, then clearly our lives are going to indicate that that grace has occurred for us. So thinking about this, would you close your eyes for just a moment? This is not the end of the the, the service, although we're close. Look, I I hope, I, I know that the tendency is For some people to just really get upset when, whenever there's talk about money. And, and look, this could make you even madder, and I don't mean for it to. But there are some people in here who are not upset, and that's people who give. I, I hope you trust my heart, even if this challenge stings. I promise you two things. One, I practice what I preach in this area. I I struggle with so many areas of my life. I'm not trying to put myself up. And I can also promise you this. At the same time, I don't count that money as being brownie points to get me to heaven. I, I, I only give because the Lord has put it in my heart. And it's easier for some than it is for others. But if God's grace has been extended to you oh. Just think about how little it is to give back to what he's done for us. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That verse is in the middle of two chapters all about giving. And Paul was not trying to shame people into giving. He was trying to say, let God's grace flow through you. Listen again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Regardless of what percentage of of your income that you give or don't give to the Lord, Would you just ask God for a glimpse of what it cost him to save you? Do you have a sense of what it means that the perfect and holy, righteous Father, creator of the universe, sent his only son to die for your sins? Do you have a sense of how heart-wrenching that was? Can you imagine what it meant for Jesus to bear your sins on the cross, fully absorbing God's holy and righteous wrath against sin for you? Lord, flood our hearts with grace. Give us an understanding that everything we have comes from your hand. And God, give us generous hearts. Through Jesus, amen. A generous heart requires a trusting heart. Do you agree with that? A generous heart requires a trusting heart. That's what God gave Jacob. 
that day. Even though he was in crisis, (laughs) this encounter profoundly changed him. Does that mean he became perfect at this point? Uh, (laughs) Hardly. Remember what we sang a thousand times I've failed, a thousand times I've blown it, and I'm begging for your mercy. I'm depending on your mercy. I'm falling on your mercy. Jacob is not perfect from here, but there is evidence of growth, spiritual growth in his life as we're going to see over these next couple of weeks. So what really happened when God visited Jacob? The answer is embedded in the question. God visited Jacob. There's an infinite gap between heaven and earth, between God and man. And unless it is bridged by God, it will remain a gap. Thus, the the somewhat awkward title of the message, the God who mercifully condescends to man. He saved us, Titus 3, 5 says, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It is his doing, not ours. Jesus made it very clear that he was and is the bridge between heaven and man. Nathaniel, who expressed doubt about Jesus before he met him, believed the minute that he saw Jesus. So, a bit amused, Jesus says, really, you think that's something just because you saw me? Now you believe, and I I knew a little bit about it. Uh, I am the bridge, Nathaniel, he was saying in so many words, between God and man. I am the gate to heaven. You had as much right to God's grace as Jacob had, which is none. When he saw the ladder, that was me. It's the heart of man to try to get to God. I guess you could say, in many ways, it's the heart of man to be God. Really, that's why not just dispense with that and let me be God. But neither of those will ever happen. I mean, since we're created, we can do nothing on our own, even of our own, even end our own existence. We can't even commit suicide and get away from God. We are created. He is unapproachable, though, unless he chooses to approach us. This he did in Genesis. The Gospel of John is is absolutely filled with references to Genesis. Whether direct, like in John chapter 151, or whether allusions are made... Um, to the actions and words of the patriarchs. Furthermore, the Apostle John alerts us to the reality that Genesis, like the rest of the Bible, was pointing to Jesus. uh, Jacob said, this is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven, this that I have seen. So Jesus comes along and says, "Not, not only am I the shepherd of the sheep, I am the gate to the sheepfold. And no one gets into the sheepfold or into heaven unless he or she comes through me. He is the gate to heaven and none enter any other 
way. I, I could keep going, but I would prefer this to be a group effort. So I'm going to give you an assignment. So get out your pen and, excuse me, your phones. Get out your phones and take this down. On the city, under topics, you're going to find a discussion that I have begun this morning, just before I came to church, that will give you an opportunity to participate in this group activity uh, that make connections between Genesis and the Gospel of John. <clears throat> the, the title of this is Genesis in, the, in John's Gospel and Jesus in Genesis. And I want you to find some of those Connections between Genesis and John and between Jesus and Genesis. Where do we find Jesus in Genesis? Where in the Gospel of John do we find allusions to Jesus and Jesus? Oh boy. (laughs) Not a good day, is it? You know, I wouldn't be surprised... If the guy's in the booth, they're always threatening me with this stuff. I'm going to guess it's their problem. <laughs> At least they can't, since I can see it on the back screen, they, they can't put up there anymore, laugh, he thinks that's funny or something like that. Well, Jesus in Genesis. Jesus is in Jesus. It's all, that's, uh, never mind. I mean, we could do this with any number. I think it's right on the city. We could do this with any number of books in the New Testament. But since Genesis 28 refers directly to John 1, or John 1 refers back to Genesis 28, let's do it. If you have a study Bible, you can look and see some of the notes. There are all kinds of allusions back to Genesis, some connections to Genesis in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was in the beginning. You heard those words before. All kinds of of connections. Some that are very evident, some that are not quite so evident, but the Holy Spirit connects it all together. So just respond to that. And if you're not on the city, see David or Keisha or Sean. Their collective age comes close to equaling mine, so they'd be much better at telling you how to get onto the city than would I? Well, it just so happens that this morning, when we talk about giving, we're taking an offering at the end of the service. We do this, by the way, every last Sunday of the month. And this particular offering is a benevolence offering. It goes to help those in need, both in and out of our body. And look, it's way harder in our society especially the station in life where most of us, from which most of us come. It's way harder to receive than it is to give. And even that is an indication that we don't get that everything we receive is from the hand of the Lord, right? Who's to say it won't be you or me that's in need in the days to come? But right now, you have the privilege to give. So let me encourage you to give and to give generously this morning. Let's pray. Brothers and sisters, we should rejoice. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has been shed upon us. May we we grasp it, may we understand it, may we proclaim it this week. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. And all of God's people say it.